You're listening to the Health Disparities Podcast from Movement is Life, conversations about health disparities with people who are working to eliminate them. I'm Rolf Taylor, and today I'm discussing the role the church can play in reducing health disparities with Dr. Franklin Richardson, pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Mount Vernon, New York. Founded in 1888, Grace is an historic church with close ties to the civil rights movement. In 1959, Dr. Martin Luther King himself preached his message of equality and emancipation from the pulpit here. And during the 44 years that Dr. Richardson has led the church, its role has grown to include advocacy and leadership in schooling, equal access to housing, and extensive health education for the Mount Vernon community and beyond. To start our wide-ranging conversation, I asked Dr. Richardson how Grace Baptist Church came to embrace health and health education and why he believes having an active health ministry is so important. Our our health consciousness as a congregation has been an evolving reality. Uh, The way we operate uh, as as a congregation um, is that we we try to be a servant church, right? Mm -hmm. Servant uh, to the community, servant to our people. Uh, We think that's the highest form of worshiping God is service to, to others. And in a, in, in a, as one t- gets deeper into a servant mentality, you consider not just getting people to uh, the afterlife or conditioning their souls, you become concerned as a servant of the existential challenges that people have. And as African Americans, there are several existential challenges that we face that in my opinion, to a large degree, are the fallout of, of 400 years of slavery, discrimination, segregation, Jim Crow, and all the negative experiences have caused African Americans to be in this, this, this place. Uh, so when one is focused on uh, the challenges that face the African American community, one has to consider economics, one has to consider uh, how economically black people are imp- impacted you take into consideration the prison systems, you take into consideration uh, the uh, education of our children, I mean, just, just on and on. And when you get to the issues of health, one of the fast awakenings you see is that there is great disparity for health in if you, any measure that you take on quality of life in this country black people at the bottom. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about education? What are you talking about the prison system? What are you talking about mortgages? What are you talking about jobs? What are you talking about health? And and whatever health and whatever health issue you are talking about, black people at the bottom. So when one realizes that the church has to develop a ministry, if it's serious about being servant church, to address the issues that people are dealing with every day. So we as a church are committed to that. So we start out with providing housing for the uh, marginalized, uh, senior citizens, uh, affordable housing, we do that. We have educational programs to help supplement the inadequacies of the school system in Mount Vernon. And we have Freedom School, which is a outgrowth of the civil rights movement. So all of our focus is on how can we better serve our community and empower it to be not only ready for heaven, but ready for the challenges of the day-to-day existence of our human experience. Mm-hmm. One of the places we stopped was at health. And I guess now, 30 years we've been 
evolving as a consciousness of, of health. Mm -hmm. It first began uh, some years ago. I was just um, I was a member of the Central Committee of the World Council of Churches, and on the Central Committee, this particular year, the theme was uh, faith and science. How faith and science come together, and it convened in uh, Moscow, and we had a big conference on faith and faith and faith and wholeness, or faith and science, or whatever. It was, a part, it was the intersection of science and faith discussions that the World Council of Churches sponsored. This must be 30 years ago. That's a big subject. Yes, yeah, big subject. But it, the way it found intersection in my ministry was I had a young woman, she was young at the time, uh, Dr. Barbara Evans, who was a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. And she had recently accepted a call to ministry. So she had graduated from seminary and we were discussing how do we get how do we use this your gifts? I say I believe that if God calls you to ministry, He calls you uh, within the context that He's already that you're already living your life. So she had these medical skills. How do we bridge the medical skills with the theological education? Mm -hmm. Consequently, when I came back from Moscow, having gone to World Council Churches, I said, Barbara, I found out what you what you're supposed to do. You in your ministry, you're going. You need to be about the business of helping us use the church as a tool to empower health consciousness in our communities. And from that day to this, she's been engaged. She developed health ministries in churches all over this area and developed the, the first health ministry here at Grace. She was the tool for that. So that's where we began. That must be 1980, 1985, somewhere in there. And... Uh, so developing that consciousness, uh, we then started, this, it kind of evolved, right? So that we, it came right at the time of HIV AIDS. We, we, were, we were one of the first churches right in the, in the, in the, in the, in the milieu of mm -hmm. controversy around, church, around HIV, HIV, HIV AIDS. Um, we were a church that spoke on behalf of people and advocated for people. And as a consequence, uh, we, one of our members is Vanessa uh, Seal, who is the founder of Bomb Gilead, which is a whole extension of it. So we, 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 we took on the issues of HIV. We took on the issues of uh, prostate cancer. And, and they became, all these things became uh, a part of what it meant to be ministry at Grace, in the health ministry. And then uh, evolved into, uh, the, it led into my relationship with Movement is Life, right? So movement of life became uh, another aspect, and we. But, but before we even got to movement of life, we had already started on diet, health, the eating issues, the weight issues, the exercise, and so today our program is robust, but it's been an evolving. It's been evolving. So we do now have we have we have a five k. We have a. Uh, weekly uh, health thing. We, uh, we have diet nutrition. We are not only that, we have on Sunday morning, we knew that Sunday morning was the centerpiece of this church's act. The most valuable time on, uh, in our church is Sunday morning at the worship service. Mm -hmm. So we put health uh, moments right in the center of worship. So on the second Sunday of every month, we have a whole health moment. There are about 25 physicians who are members of this church, they create the doctor's ministry. 
and the doctor's ministry do a presentation for about five minutes every second Sunday on some issue. Last week they did hypertension. They do cardiovascular. They do ophthalmology. They do everything in an attempt to educate our congregation about health issues and to go see. We have people who testify. One lady particularly said she was, we had a presentation on the retina detachment. Mm -hmm. And she said it was that health moment that kept her from going blind because it made her go to the doctor and get uh, look, so there are many people who say how well, how helpful it is that it, on Sunday morning you have their full attention. So it's an opportunity for the church to open up the door to better life by giving people information about their health. Now we've been on for about four or five years now. That the, I, I I will assure you that the health quotient, uh, the the knowledge about health in our church compared to other churches is probably uh, superior because we've been pushing it out for three years every month, maybe five years, five years now. And different doctors present. We have different specialists who are members of the church and they, they present in this five minute period. They do the video and they do the screen. And, uh, and we, we see faith as an, as an, as an ex, well, we see health as an extension of faith. Our, our concern, you go back, that's why I started out earlier, we are grounded in a servant mentality we believe in the theology that God has called us to liberate, to empower, to set free. And that is not a restricted mandate. That, that includes education, that includes health, that includes all of this. So, so it's, for us, it is a statement of faith. It is theologically correct to be addressing health in the context of the faith community because it is vital to the quality of life. And we believe that Christ has come that we would all be empowered to live our best lives. We believe that Christ has come to make us whole. And you follow the models of Jesus. It's not interesting that in the New Testament, Jesus spent much of his time healing the sick. Mm -hmm. We have in the New Testament dominant stories of people who, so far, it's clear that Jesus saw his ministry as a part of making the sick well, of addressing those who were broken. He saw that as a primary part. You can look throughout the Gospels. It's very clear. The healing of the blind man, the withered hand, the bent over woman, the woman with the issue of blood. Just on and on and on in the New Testament Jesus is encountering sickness. And when people have sickness, the man who had a sick daughter was dying, they went to Jesus because they believed that Jesus could do something about it. If in fact the church is the disciples of Jesus in the 21st century, we too must have that as a priority. Several times during our conversation, Dr. Richardson emphasized the importance in his ministry of direct intervention and the urgency of making good health part of spiritual well-being today, not just preparing souls for heaven tomorrow. On the day I attended service at Grace Baptist Church, Dr. Richardson talked about their rich history and connection to the civil rights movement, and he recalled Dr. Martin Luther King speaking from that same pulpit. I asked Dr. Richardson to talk about the leadership role of the church today. When we first started, the barber went around and established, Barbara Evans, Dr. Barbara Evans now, went around and established health uh, ministries in churches all over this area. So today there are many health ministries that are in churches that started as a result of our starting health ministries. So we, yeah, in this space, we have provided leadership. We have, we've opened up people to see, to see faith as a place where health gets addressed. And we made partnerships with hospitals and health centers and so forth so that people can see that 
if, if people can, if, if you can model for our churches what the role of the church is as it relates to health, many pastors, given that model, will imitate it because they really want to be relevant. They really want to be effective. They really still, they want to serve their people. So, uh, yes, grace has been a model in several places, but in the health space, it is one place we have certainly been a model of providing how does the church engage in health issues. Churches such as Grace Baptist understand the challenges facing their communities as well as any organization. I asked Dr. Richardson to discuss how his ministry translates representation into policy and action beyond the church. Well, I mean, at the top of the list is access to public of, uh, to health care for all people, regardless of their for regardless of their financial situation, regardless of where they live, their education, I, I we are an advocate for public policy that makes it possible for every person in this country to access uh, high quality health care. So that drives my public policy uh, position on health, uh, whether it's uh, the Affordable Health Air Act, whether it's modified. The goal must be. Don't get caught in the weeds. The goal must be to deliver quality health care to every person in this country as a right. We've recently seen a technology transformation in terms of health. And these days, health information increasingly resides on the Internet and is delivered through digital media. But for older populations and those with less access to computers, there is a danger of getting left behind and not sharing in the benefits. How can the church help to narrow the technology gap? Black and poor communities, uh, Hispanic communities that are poor, black communities that are poor, uh, have a digital divide. Uh, they are, have less access. Uh, it is a, um, a delayed, uh, a lag in, in, in poor communities, in black communities, a lag behind the, the cutting edges of it gets to our communities last. Our, our young people are equipped last. So they're behind the eight ball, always behind the eight ball. And so this lack of access to technology helps, uh, serves as a barrier to uh, accessing healthcare. Uh, if, if we are going to an age of technology and a segment of the population doesn't have uh, skills or knowledge to access it, then that group is going to be left behind. Uh, I'm very aware of the advances that are being made. As a matter of fact, uh, today when I talk about uh, whenever an issue comes up about health and a word is used that I don't know, I simply go to the, right to my phone right away and find out what it means. Well, before uh, this technology was available, you have to stumble in the darkness and wait till you got to your doctor and maybe try to figure out what it means. But today, the technology, when you go to the doctor, you can be informed as to what questions to ask and understand what the doctor says and right. better respond and get some pre-information before you even visit the doctor. So you can get more out of your doctor visit. That's right, exactly. If you do the research. That's right. Um, which is really part of, I think, what you're encouraging with all of the health activities mm -hmm. is, uh, is encouraging people to, um, to take control of their own health. Self-advocacy. That's... Is you are the, you are your best advocate for your health, and you have to be aggressive in in, in pursuing uh, health care. Mm -hmm. 
you, the dime was that you depended on health professional, that day is over. Today, you get as much as you can advocate for. Mm -hmm. And you have to become knowledgeable and committed to advocating for yourself. You've got to be, or in the case where you can't advocate, then there must be people who become your advocates uh, for, for health care. But there is a tremendous role for people, to, for the for health institutions, for, for, well, for community institutions like Grace and others, to be advocates for people. Advocates and navigators. Because the system is very threatening and intimidating. Uh, so you need navigators. And I, and I advocate that health, health institutions must provide that for their patients, uh, advocacy and navigation, uh, to help them figure out how to get access to the services. We also know that there's a lot of um, uh, race and gender bias yes. in the way health institutions distribute healthcare. Yes. Yes, and treat people. Without question. I mean, we, we there's just a whole plethora of statistics that bear out the fact that there is a racial bias uh, uh, to our communities. Uh, it is it is ultimately seen in the in the presence of the disparity in diseases that uh, are more prevalent in black communities than others. It is seen in the, uh, the death rates, the mortality rates. It's seen in uh, who, what percentages, the, dis the disparate contrast between black diseases, uh, diseases in black communities as opposed to in white communities. The life expectancy in the black community is, uh, among black males, is about 12% behind white males, mm -hmm. uh, life expectancy. So it's very, anybody who wants to really see can see that there is a disparity mm -hmm. in healthcare. And then there is not only the, what you would call racial disparity, there is a, a, a kind of a bias that people don't, unconscious bias that people have that gets carried out as a result of the influences of the culture values. They end up having biases that they didn't don't consciously know that they have that were affected by how the culture has defined black people. So unconscious bias affecting the way a white person is uh, offering treatment mm -hmm. to a black person. Right. And perhaps that unconscious bias is is kind of um, built in to the system. Yes. So it's systematic. It's, it's, it's automatic pilot. It's structural. Um, how can um, those people who may have unconscious bias, um, what are the roots for them uncovering in, uncovering that in themselves? How can we kind of overcome You know, that? this is part of what a Movement for Life has been talking about um, in several of our last sessions, annual sessions. Um, it's an education that has to be taken on by healthcare professionals. Conversations and workshops um, that have to help them see it. Mm -hmm. It's not something that is easily eliminated. It's got to be addressed through developing sensitivity right. on, on the area. And so it's, it's, it's a kind of, uh, it's a long journey. Uh, but once you, once you own that it's possible, then you're set up to begin to investigate whether it is actual. So uh, 
the healthcare bias, I mean, bias, unconscious bias is, is a reality. Mm -hmm. And people need to have their eyes opened and help to see. Uh, but they can't do it uh, if they don't know it. So they got to open their eyes so they can see it. And to my, to my encouragement, I've seen people who get uh, an awareness who actually begin to change because they really didn't intend to, but they are the victims of a, of a culture where blacks are inferior, where blacks don't even realize that, that that has affected their perception of a black person who walks in their office. Right. Uh, the, the, the culture, the general cultural atmosphere has affected them to make certain decisions, and, they have, and they're not even aware that they have absorbed the negative consequences of, of uh, racial presence in the country, racial bias in the, country, in the culture. Dr. Richardson and his team have taken a proactive leadership role in improving health of communities, not just in New York, but right across the country. You can Google Grace Baptist Church, Mount Vernon, if you'd like to know more about what they do to reduce health disparities and how they do it. You've been listening to the Health Disparities podcast from Movement is Life. Movement is Life is an independent organization dedicated to eliminating health disparities. You can find us at movementislifecaucus.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Health Disparities podcast, and we look forward to bringing you new episodes every month.